I want to start this talk off with a question, a very simple question. And the question is, where is your heart in the present moment? Where is your heart in this present moment? And to help us answer this question, I want to look to a very holy woman who came from Russia, Father Angelus spoke of um, Father Chizek and how he fled to Russia for the mission uh, to really share God's love in a very communist and horrific place. And this woman fled to Russia to get away from the communist oppression. And her name is Catherine Doherty. A very holy woman. She is a servant of, of God. She was born in the late 19th century. And I don't know if people know this or not. It's kind of a fun fact. I was surprised when I read it that she was born on a train. So it says a lot of the strength of her mother, you know, and the strength of the family into which she was born. And she was born to very devout parents. The late 19th century in Russia was a very free time for the church, a very thriving time for the church. There was this freedom to practice their faith, to practice the love of God. It was a great time for her to be born, and her parents taught her at a very early age the importance of the love of God, the importance of encountering his love in the everyday moment of everyday life, and also the importance of sharing that love with each other, and most especially with the poor. So at a very early age, she had this heart for the poor. She would follow her mother, follow her mother into these uh, poor areas of, of her neighborhood where her mother would, would nurse the impoverished people. She would really take care of them. And what a huge witness to this young little girl, young Catherine, to see her mother doing this for the poorest of the poor. And her father even while entertaining diplomats at their table, would leave the table, excuse himself from the table, when the poor would come knock, to their, knock on their door to help take care of them. So they had this deep understanding of God's love for them and this deep understanding of the urgency. Yeah, the urgency to share his love with their neighbors, with the poorest of the poor. And she carried this with her throughout her entire life. At age 15, she was married, it's kind of young, she was married even uh, to her first cousin, <laughs> which is, you know, maybe different standard, standards at the time, uh, but his name was Boris, and he was, uh, he was a baron, and that's why Catherine Doherty is referred to as the baroness. She was first married to this baron, and she and her husband, encountering the difficulties in, in communist Russia, wanted to flee, and and finally, in the early 1900s, uh, 1920s, somewhere around there, they, they uh, landed in, in uh, Canada. So they found refuge in Canada. And it was in Canada she really started to recognize there's a deeper calling in her life. And, and these memories of her childhood started to resurface. The necessity, the need to serve the poor, the need to be among the poor, the need to share God's love with the poor. It was heavy on her heart. She knew that she wanted to do it. And so she began this mission called the Friendship House. And the Friendship House was a place, it was almost like a place of hospitality, where the poor could come 
They could receive clothing. They could receive food, shelter, a place to shower, a place to do laundry. But more importantly, they could receive a relationship, a place where they felt welcome, a place where they felt like family. And as Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, we're inspired by this. We often ask ourselves, what, what, does make, what, what makes our work with the poor special? What makes it CFR? You know, Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, why is our work different? You know, or why do we hope that it's different? And really, it's this idea of relationship. The idea of bringing an encounter with the love of Christ, an incarnate counter of the love of Christ through ourselves, through our faith, bringing them into the sacraments, the fullness of the church. That's really what our hope is. And this was the same mission of Catherine Doherty in the Friendship House. And bishops across the United States were so inspired by that that she invited her to come and open these houses across the U.S. The first one was in Harlem, New York. And she would travel across the U.S. and start to open these houses. And the poor and their needs were met with the utmost tenderness, the utmost love, the utmost mercy. A huge witness. A huge witness. Later on, she would go to found the Madonna House because she realized it's not just the poor who need this, but it's people who walk the everyday life, the day-to-day, the middle class, the upper class. People need a place to come and encounter the love of God. They need a place that is silent. They need a place where they can quiet their hearts, where they can set aside this time, this space, where they can encounter anew the love of God. Where is your heart in the present moment? Is your heart ready to receive the love of God? Is your heart open to receive the love of God? How is he speaking to you in the present moment? And if you can't answer that, or if you don't know how he's speaking to you in the present moment, then there's something that needs to shift, something we need to change in our lives so that we can avail our hearts to receive God and his word, his message. It is God's will to constantly reveal himself to us. We are the pinnacle of his creation, created in his image and likeness. He is constantly trying to reveal himself to us. But perhaps because of state in life, perhaps because of the noise that is in our lives, be it TV, be it internet, radio, or just the noise of frustrations in our lives, of anxieties, of fears, our parents, our children, our brothers, our sisters, whatever it might be. We're so overwhelmed by these natural things that there's no place or there's no time, there's no space for God to speak into that. There's no space set aside. Lord, what are you trying to speak to me this day? What are you trying to speak to me in this moment? Are you even there? Is anybody home? So the Madonna House was founded to encourage people to encounter God in a very new way. She started this little mantra called the sacrament of the moment or the duty of the moment. To be present to God because he is present in every single moment of our lives. Of course, he's here right now with us in the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. 
He's gazing with his loving eyes upon us. It's a great place to be. But are our hearts here? Physically, we are here. Body, mind, for sure. But are our hearts here in this moment? Do we recognize God's presence to us in this very moment? The abundance of his love, the generosity of his love. He always gives in abundance. Are we here? Are our hearts here? Do we trust? Do we trust that this is a reality, that this is God's will? Again, these noises, these cares, these anxieties, whatever they may be in our lives that are distracting us, it it, it can be tough. It can be tough, and it can distract us from the very present moment. Father Andrew, in in, in his goodness, uh, he has many great one-liners, and and one that he shared with us, Father Andrew Apostoli, uh, he said, Brothers, we do not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. Thank you, Father Andrew. (laughs) It's another feather in the cap there, another one to remember. We do not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. As much as our cares are for these things, God cares all the more. He has it in his hands. He's a good father. He cares. And he wants to show us that he cares. Just to share a couple stories with you uh, in our works with the poor. It's, it's funny. I've had the opportunity to do a few school visits recently. And I've been stationed in New Mexico in Albuquerque for the past four years. And did a few school visits in the past couple weeks there. And the same question came up in a few of the classrooms. And the children asked, Brother, what is your favorite thing about being a brother? <laughs> and it gave me pause. I was like, man, that's a great question. And after thinking for a moment, I had to say the people. The people. I love the people that we meet as brothers. I love meeting you all when we travel, you know. I love meeting the poor that we encounter on the streets when we walk the streets that come to our door every day. Because there is Christ incarnate in you, in our brothers and sisters, in the poor. And I've learned so much in our work with the poor. Some of the hardest lessons I've learned in life, maybe, from our works with the poor. And two stories I want to share with you. One is about a woman named Priscilla. And Father Angelus probably knows Priscilla, and he's probably heard this story before. But it's, it's a very powerful story for me, because Priscilla was a tough, petite, African-American woman who walked the streets of Newark, New Jersey. And day in and day out, men would try to abuse her physically, sexually. And sometimes she would come to our door and her face would be all swollen because she was beaten nearly to death. And this one particular day that Priscilla came to the door, she rang the doorbell. And I was the porter at the moment. So the porter is the one who answers the door, answers the phone, takes care of things there. And on this particular day, I was also our guest master. I mean, it was, it was my assignment for the friary. And we had about 15 guests coming in. And I had, I had the rooms nowhere near ready. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I have so much to do to get these rooms ready. And on that day, it seemed like the phone was ringing off the hook. And every time I hung up the phone, it seemed like the doorbell rang. <laughs> And so this last phone call I, I take, I, I get off the phone, and I just, I'm like, 
ready. Like, the doorbell's going to ring. <laughs> and it's like, no, nothing. Doorbell doesn't ring. The phone doesn't ring. I'm like, finally, I want to go get a little bit of work done on these rooms. As soon as I walk past the front door, the doorbell rings. <laughs> and there's Priscilla at the door. Priscilla, how you doing? Good, good, brother. I came to get my prayer. That's what I love first about Priscilla. Every time she would come, she would say, I came to get my prayer. She wouldn't ask for anything else. She just said, I came to get my prayer. And we would pray. And, and there were times where we asked Priscilla to pray. And, and you almost had to be sitting down because her prayers were very powerful. Very powerful. I said, Priscilla, we will pray. Absolutely. Just, just give me a minute and I'll go fix some coffee and, and a sandwich for you. I'll be right back. And I you know, gently shut the door and I go away. And, and in my haste, I make probably the worst cup of coffee anyone has ever seen <laughs> and a really sloppy peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There was no love put into it at all. And I come back to the door and when I open the door, it was as if I had seen Priscilla for the first time that day because it was a cold day in November and she just had a very light shirt on and she was shivering. And I just had this moment like, mercy, mercy, Lord. I said, Priscilla, uh, come in, come in. I said, here's a really bad cup of coffee and (laughs) really poor peanut butter and jelly sandwich. (laughs) But um, I'm happy to make uh, a new cup of coffee for you, and I'm happy to make you another sandwich. Uh, But I want to get some clothing for you, so just uh, just wait a second. I'll be right back. And I went to our clothing room, and I'm digging around, and I find this really thick wool sweater and this really nice beanie and this brand-new pair of wool socks. And I come back out. I said, Priscilla, look what I found. I found a nice sweater for you. She's like, oh, thank you so much. I said, I found this really nice thick hat for you too. Oh, thank you. And I said, I found a brand new pair of wool socks. And she goes, oh, socks. I can't tell you how long it has been since I've had socks. And she got so excited. She started to do this little dance. She's like, I'm going to put them on right now. I'm going to put them on right now. And I'm like, wait, wait, Priscilla. She's going to sit on the floor to put these socks on. Wait, wait, Priscilla, hold on a second. I said, I got a chair in the next room. So I, I grab the chair and I bring it and I hold it for her. I said, here, here you go, Priscilla, sit down. And as she sat down, she said, wow, I really feel like a human being again. I started to cry. Because this woman who was abused on the streets every day, was almost, I was almost guilty of incurring the same abuse, and not in the same manner, but just not recognizing the dignity of the human person in front of me, not recognizing the presence of Christ incarnate in front of me. I almost missed the moment, but by God's grace, he allowed me to receive it. And I watched as she took her boots off, and I saw these feet that were cracked and bloody, ashen, And she put on these socks. She put her boots back on. She stood up and she gave me this great big hug and kiss. (laughs) We said a prayer together. And every time that Priscilla came back, I made sure (laughs) that we had our moment, that we we had time together. You know, it didn't matter what I had going on. I would stop. It was a grace I received in that moment. Being able to be present to the presence of Christ in the person in front of me. Working with the poor is inconvenient. It's a reality. They don't come at the most convenient times. We've been waking up sometimes in Albuquerque at like 3, three o'clock in the morning with people shouting. Two weeks ago, we had an intruder. A guy broke into our friary. We, none of us slept that night, you know. It's an interesting life. <laughs> but it's a gift of a life because 
It's this opportunity to be present to these people and to find Christ in them. But I, I'm human, and I don't get it right. <laughs> the other story I want to share with you is about Andrew. Andrew is a guy that comes to our friary in Albuquerque. And he's in and out of jail. He's on and off drugs. He really struggles. And this one day he came, and uh, we'd run a soup kitchen in Albuquerque, and, and each brother takes turns cooking. And this particular day or week, I was in charge of the cooking for the, for the soup kitchen. And Andrew showed up at a time when I was just getting ready to get the meat out to thaw um, because I was traveling the weekend before. I didn't have time to get the meat out to thaw properly, so I was going to you know, soak it in water. And Andrew comes, and that's all I'm thinking about is this meat <laughs> that needs to thaw. And Andrew, and, and he comes in, and I'm like, Andrew, it's been so long, you know, come have a seat. And, and he's, he starts talking to me and everything, and I'm just sitting there, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I gotta get this meat thawed, I gotta get this meat thawed. And Andrew stops in his conversation. He's giving me his, his update, his play by play. And in the silence, I, I just kind of look at him. And he said, Brother, are you okay? How are you doing? And I was like, Man, mercy again, Lord. I didn't even ask Andrew how he was doing today. I said, Andrew, I said, I, I'm sorry, bro, but I, I'm really preoccupied right now. I'm cooking this week, and I'm, I'm behind schedule. And he said, I could tell, because since I've walked in this door, you have not been present to me. Andrew, <laughs> thank you, bro. Thank you for saying that. Thank you, and I'm sorry. See, the poor, they don't have anything to hold on to. Uh, you know, as brothers, we, we take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and we're given courses on those vows. And I remember one of our, our priest brothers uh, talking about or meditating on uh, the cross, the crucified Lord, when you think of your vows and, and you look at his feet, they're nailed to the cross. It's obedience. You know, we will not move unless prompted by our Lord and the heart that bleeds out of love for his people, our, our vow of chastity. But then the hands nailed wide open because we can't grab onto anything. And the poor, they have nothing to hold on to. So what they hold on to is the presence, the relationship, your time, the love of God as it is witnessed through you. They really hold on to that. And I failed in that moment. And I said, Andrew, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. I apologize. Forgive me. How are you doing, Andrew? I really want to know. I said, can, can we start from scratch here? Can we start from scratch? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I said, all right, tell me what's going on. And we had this amazing conversation. And I got him some lunch and uh, did his laundry for him. And, he, you know, went on his way. Every time Andrew comes back to the door, and it's not that often, again, because he's in and out of jail, I, I always remember that moment. And, and again, I'm human. I, I need the grace. And, and sometimes it is an inconvenience. But Andrew's here. The poor are here. God is here. Am I available to be present to God? Where is your heart at the present moment? Where is your heart at the present moment? So how do, how do we do this? How do we avail our hearts to the presence of God in each and every moment of our life? It, it can be difficult. It can be very difficult. But I think it starts in a place like this right here in the chapel, in the presence of our Lord, on a retreat. One of the things that Catherine Doherty established was this concept of a pustinia. And pustinia is a Russian word for hermitage, 
a place to get away. And any time you read the Gospels and, and you see our Lord and, and, and you, know, you kind of get the idea that maybe he's starting to get a little overwhelmed or he's starting to get a little busy, what does he do? He retreats to the hillside. He retreats to the mountaintop. It's this place to go away to the silence. This place to go away where you can encounter God in a very new, a very real, a very tangible way. And she speaks of this Pustinia as a physical place. And she even has a book called Pustinia. Some of you may have read it. And she talks about the place. She talks about the type of prayer, about emptying your heart of physical thought, of your cares, your worries, maybe writing things down on paper so that they're out of your mind and they're on paper. You don't have to think about them again. But cultivating this silence of heart, this God-sized space that only he can fill, in the Pusinia, in the hermitage, in the silence. But she ends this book, after all these physical descriptions, after all these practical ideas, she ends this book with her final chapter called The Pustinia of the Heart. The Pustinia of the Heart. That the Pustinia doesn't have to be some place we go to. But it can be right here at any moment of any day. Right in our hearts. The Pustinia of the heart. And she writes, The Pustinia is within, where one is forever immersed in the silence of God, forever listening to the word of God, forever repeating it to others in word and deed. The Pustinia is this inner solitude, this inner immersion in the silence of God. It is through this inner total identification with humanity and with Christ that every Christian should be living in a state of contemplation. For some of us, that might sound impossible. (laughs) But with God, all things are possible. How is it that we take what we receive here into our day-to-day, into the minor things, into the small task, into everything? How do we take it with us? Lord, help me to cultivate this silence of my heart where I am so aware of your presence in everything that I can do nothing but bring that presence to all those that I meet, that I can do nothing but be recharged by that presence that I can do nothing but rest in that presence. This past Lent, I prayed with one scripture. Usually in Lent, I I pick a few psalms or something like that, or I'm inspired to to pray through a gospel, an entire gospel. But this past Lent, Lent a year ago, I was stuck in the gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And I'll read it to you, if you don't mind. That day, as evening drew, he said to them, Let us cross over to the farther shore. Leaving the crowd, they took him away in the boat in which he was sitting, while the other boats accompanied him. It happened that a bad squall blew up. The waves were breaking over the boat, and it began to ship water badly. Jesus was in the stern, through it all, sound asleep on a cushion. 
they finally woke him and said to him, Teacher, does it not matter to you that we are going to drown? He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. The wind fell off and everything grew calm. Then he said to them, Why are you so terrified? Why are you lacking in faith? A great awe overcame them at this. They kept saying to one another, Who can this be that the wind and the sea obey him? This gospel account occurs in Matthew and Luke's gospel as well. But why I like Mark's gospel is because the way that the disciples approach our Lord is very provocative. In one translation, it says, Lord, do you not care that we perish? You're asleep over here in the middle of this raging storm. And sometimes that's how our hearts can feel. We feel like we're in this storm of life, being tossed and battered by every raging wave, every wind that blows. But our Lord is asleep. Why is he asleep? Is he asleep because he doesn't care? No. He's resting with the Father because he knows who created the storm. He knows who created the sea. He knows who created you. And his care for you is greater than the storm, is greater than the wind and the sea. And his invitation to you is to come rest with him. Come rest with me. Be at peace. Be quiet. Be still. My brothers and sisters, this is where we start, in this silent place, this total trust, as Father said this morning, this surrender of our will, the surrender of our time, the surrender of our hearts to encounter him in the silence. I don't know what your day-to-day looks like, but maybe there's a time in the morning, maybe you're early risers. I'm an early riser. I know Father Angelus is an early riser. Uh, none of the brothers I live with are early risers. <laughs> It creates some comedy in the house. Sometimes I see a brother, you know, and I'm like, hey, bro, how you doing? He's like, he's like, bro, just let me get some coffee. <laughs> and I realized, like, at that time, I've been up for four hours, and, and he's just getting up, you know. <laughs> but maybe you're an early riser, and there's this consecrated time in your day where it's just silent. Lord, I just want to sit with you in your presence. I just want to sit in the gaze of the Father. I want to allow you to look at me, to call me your beloved beloved son, beloved daughter, your pride that you take in me, to rest in that moment. If we can do that, if we can start there, and the grace will follow to start to see him in every little thing, in every little day. He is with us. He promises us that. I am with you always. Where are your hearts in the present moment? All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.